Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story, and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games With Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Hey, everybody, what's going on? I am Greg Sussman, joined today by Jim Sinus of FanDuel, not here to talk about NASCAR but is here to talk about the NFL. What's up, Jim? Don't you worry, Greg. We'll get back to NASCAR in the very near future because there are two more races next week, so we'll be talking NASCAR again soon. A quick little reprieve, though, to talk uh, some NFL for today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And, in fact, this is probably as good as I'm going to do because once we get into your first uh, missed playoffs, I think we're all screwed on social. And that begins <laughs> with the Buffalo Bills. And there's a lot of members of Bills Mafia that are going to want to turn off this video right now. Because you want to place the bet. Your favorite bet to place over miss playoffs versus make the playoffs is the Bills to miss the playoffs this season. That's not going to go well, Joe. Yeah, and I get it. Like, Bills fans have reasons to be optimistic. They're a generally pretty well-run team. I like their head coach. Their defense is pretty fun. So there are reasons to like this Bills team. So we're not totally trashing you. But I think at this number, at plus 140 to miss the playoffs, there's quite a bit of value in that and honestly like I'd love to bet into this division and try to be optimistic here because it is pretty wide open but my concern is around Josh Allen because Josh Allen yes he got better last year but he's starting just 27th in per dropback efficiency based on number fires metrics and that's concerning it should go up with Stefan Diggs being in town because situation does matter a lot for a quarterback and Josh Allen's situation did just get better but if Allen doesn't become a legitimate quarterback and become better than what he was last year, it's pretty easy to see a path to them missing the playoffs for this year. If we're looking at plus 140, the implied odds of that are 42%. So in order to bet this number, you'd need the odds that they miss the playoffs to be 42% or higher. And if you look at number fires projections, which are now live for the full season, the odds that the Bills miss the playoffs are actually 47%. So about five percentage point gap there between their actual odds and what the bet, uh, what the what the odds makers have. So 
I'm pretty willing to dive in here at plus 140. I think that the Bills have a lot to be optimistic about, so I think that uh, it's not a must bet by any means, but there's good value here. I see paths to disappointment for this team, so I'm willing to dive in at plus 140. The AFC East wide open this year with Tom Brady, of course, in Tampa Bay, the Patriots rebuilding. The Bills are really the favorite right now in the AFC East. You can kind of see this division going in any direction. Getting this team to miss the playoffs at plus 140, it's just a good number. Not that we think it's going to happen. Stay chill, Bills fans. It's just a good bet to place, according to Number of Fires Metrics, which are live right now. Another team that has kind of good odds to miss the playoffs, it's the Indianapolis Colts. It's another wide-open division out there in the AFC South, where the Colts, another team that may be the presumptive favorite. But, Jim, you believe the right bet is to take them missing the playoffs. How come? Yeah, this one may feel a little bit weird because if you go to Sharp Football and look at their schedules for the upcoming year, the Colts actually have the easiest schedule on the enti- in the entire NFL for 2020 based on the win totals of their opponents. And that's the way you want to look at this thing. So that's definitely good for the Colts. And it's actually by a pretty wide margin that their schedule is the easiest. But it looks like bookmakers are accounting for that because plus 160 to miss the playoffs is a pretty big number. Philip Rivers last year, not as bad as perception. A lot of his picks came in desperation time where you do want to be aggressive and picks aren't all that bad, but he'll now have worse skill position players than he had last year to deal with. He no longer has Keenan Allen, uh, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler. Instead, he's throwing to T.Y. Hilton and a lot of question marks on this Colts team. He does get a better offensive line and a much better offensive line, but the improvements there are kind of, they're kind of scrubbed out by the drop in skill position players Rivers will have to throw to. So that's definitely a concern. I also look at the defensive side of the ball here, and that's not necessarily a strength for the Colts either. They ranked 19th overall based on number of fires metrics last year. They were 20th against the pass. So those are big concerns. Can Phillip Rivers improve from where he was last year? Can he improve them from where they were under Jacoby Brissett? And can this defense take a step forward? At this odds, you need their odds to make to miss the playoffs to be about 39% in order to justify betting it. And at number fire, they have the Colts missing the playoffs 48.8% of the time. So about 10 percentage points difference there. It's even better value on the Colts than what you're getting on the Bills. I think that there's just a bit too much certainty in this number and the way this Colts season will play out. Yes, there are seven playoff teams now, and that does matter. But with the question marks around their defense and the question marks around Rivers, I'm very okay laying plus 160 here for sure. I think it's a good point to bring up the fact that there are seven playoff teams right now. So it's a little bit easier to make the playoffs. The AFC South should be a competitive division with the Texans and Colts uh, both vying for supremacy there. And, of course, how about the Titans that made it all the way to the AFC Championship game just a year ago? It's going to be competitive. And the Colts with Phillip Rivers, like I said, may be a presumptive favorite, but a plus 166. It also may be worth saying, uh uh-uh. Let's head back to the AFC East, where if you like the Bills at plus 140 to miss the playoffs, well, are you going to also like the Patriots at over plus 165 to do the same? Patriots have no Tom Brady, but they still have Bill Belichick. They still have Josh McDaniels, Julian Edelman, and so much more. The Patriots have pretty good odds to not make the playoffs. You buying in? Yeah, someone from this division is going to make the playoffs. And I think that's, <laughs> that's good to admit because we're betting against two of them here. But with the, with the Bills being plus 140 and the Patriots being plus 166, I am actually okay with both of those numbers where they're at, even though we know someone from this division is going to make it. I just think that there are a lot of question marks here, and there are similar question marks to what we have with the Bills. Both teams have really good defenses, 
but questions at quarterback and on offense in general. And I think that when you get plus 166 missed the playoffs on a team that may be starting a guy who was a fourth-round pick last year and didn't have the best resume coming out of college, that's pretty enticing. And it's not just Jared Stidham. It's also the skill position players around him. Tom Brady struggled in this offense last year, and now they're running it back for 2020 with a downgrade at quarterback under center. So that's really concerning. Basically, if you wanted the Patriots to make the playoffs at this number, you would need to bank on them having an outlier defense once again. And defensive efficiency is not as sticky year over year as offensive efficiency. So banking on a back-to-back outlier season on a defense is pretty tough. They also lost Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, and some other players on defense. And they're going to have a lot of young players potentially contributing on that side of the ball. That's definitely scary if you're going to get them at, uh, at this number to make the playoffs. So I'm just going with the number here. Plus 166 is more than enough. One of the bills of the Patriots will probably make the playoffs. So maybe the situation where you don't bet both these numbers, just pick the one you like more and go from there. But I think in a vacuum, both the bills and the Patriots, good bets not to make the playoffs just based on where the odds makers are viewing them. Now betting against the Bills and the Patriots, it seems like Jim's all in the Miami Dolphins this year or his New York Jets to ultimately make the playoffs. Now, listen, you may not want to do both the Bills uh, and the Patriots to miss the playoffs, but Jim's right. The Patriots, their skill position players haven't gotten any better. Their quarterback got worse. They, I don't want to say barely made the playoffs last year, but it kind of felt like they barely made the playoffs last year on the heroics of a defense and Tom Brady. Well, the defense, well, they may not be back this year. Tom Brady is definitely not back this year. The Patriots is a bet to miss the playoffs that I actually like better than even the Bills. Let's move on to the next one here, Jim. It's finally a team to make the playoffs. We did our misses, now let's get into our makes. And you're not the only one that's buying back in on the Cleveland Browns. They have a new head coach in Kevin Stefanski, uh, a new regime above Stefanski, and of course Baker Mayfield back with all of those weapons that everybody loved last year. Why is this year going to be different? Yeah, I just think they've made incremental improvements. And those incremental improvements really do add up once you look at the effect of those improvements on both sides of the football. The big improvement on defense, they get Miles Garrett back. That's not an acquisition, but it is a big one because their defense really tanked after Garrett got suspended last year. And getting a guy who could be defensive player of the year back on on defense is a pretty major boon for them. But there have also been major gains on the offense. And I think these have been the more high-profile gains this year. Uh, But Jedrick Wills at left tackle, Jack Conklin at right tackle, Austin Hooper at tight end, they're helping shore up their biggest weaknesses from last year. And I think that's a huge thing in helping Baker Mayfield get back to where he was as a rookie. We don't need this team to suddenly be a world beater to make the playoffs. We kind of just need Baker Mayfield to go back to what he was as a rookie. And I don't think that's that tall of an ask for a guy who was the first overall pick just a couple of years ago, one of the most prolific quarterbacks in the history of college football. So I don't think we're going out on a major limb here and getting them at plus 116 is pretty intriguing. This division, it is tough because Big Ben is back. Uh, You obviously have the Ravens there as well, and the Bengals should be better. But the Ravens may regress from an awesome season last year. Big Ben, we don't know what his health will look like with that elbow surgery that he's coming off of. And the Bengals are still, they still got a lot of holes in their in, in their entire depth chart. So I think the Browns here are plus 116, a pretty good bet. Uh, the Ravens should still be the favorites of the division, always should be for sure. But I think with those three playoff or those three wild card slots, the Browns a pretty good bet to slide into one of those. 
Remember that extra playoff spot is available here this year, both the AFC and, of course, the NFC. And the Browns, those improvements along the offensive line are going to be a major boon uh, to Baker Mayfield, who hopefully will put some of the off-field stuff aside and then get back to winning. Winning cares everything. and Everybody loves the off-field stuff when they're winning. We'll see if Baker Mayfield and the Browns can do just that, do just that and make the playoffs here in 2020. Up next, we'll go out west where everybody's sort of counted out the Los Angeles Rams after a tough year last year. The genius of Sean McVay doesn't exist anymore. Todd Gurley's gone. This team is a shadow of itself. Brandon Cooks is gone as well. And yet you're buying back into the Rams to make the playoffs. The Niners, of course, in that division, a team that made the Super Bowl last season. Why do you buy in the Los Angeles Rams resurgence in 2020? Yeah, it's a super tough division. It's not just the 49ers. You also got the Seahawks there who are plus, or, or I think minus 122 to make the playoffs. The Cardinals are improved from where they were with DeAndre Hopkins uh, and Isaiah Simmons there. So this is going to be a tough division. But I think that that is being fully accounted for in these odds. I think we may be overreacting to what the Rams did last year. If I were to ask you, in theory, where you thought the Rams ranked in offensive passing efficiency last year, you probably wouldn't guess a number that's all that good. But they were actually the 10th, re- 10th best schedule-adjusted passing offense in all of football last year. They were actually a lot better than you would think. They played a tough schedule, uh, but they really did improve down the stretch. Once they made some scheme changes, Jared Goff actually played pretty well, making them a top-10 passing offense. And if you get a top-10 passing offense at plus 140 to make the playoffs, I find that pretty intriguing. And the thing about that number last year, ranking 10th in passing efficiency, is that it happened even though they had a lot of injuries, a wide receiver, Brandon Cooks missed time, Robert Woods missed a game due to a, a personal issue. Their offensive line was also decimated throughout the year. They weren't just bad at the beginning. They also had a ton of injuries as the year went along. Now, all those guys come back, and maybe they're not going to be great, but it gives you competition. It gives you choices. If one guy isn't very good, you can turn elsewhere. Competition and depth is good, and the Rams are much better prepared along the offensive line this year than they were last year. So I would expect this offense to rebound from where it was last year. This defense is going to take a step back. They've lost a lot of talent there. Wade Phillips no longer in town, so I would expect the defense to struggle, but if I can get a passing offense, I expect to perform well at plus 140. I'm going to take that number pretty much every time. So uh, the implied odds here, 42% based on the number to uh, make the playoffs. And number fire has them making the playoffs 45% of the time. So just a little bit of value, but I think I'm higher on the Rams offense than the number fire metrics are. So at plus 140, count me in on buying a Rams bounce back. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two, because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed. 
and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Pop they ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. One last team to talk about that we think are going to make the playoffs, and this is not a popular one here, Jim. This is Houston Texans as we go back and close out the AFC South here. The Texans and Bill O'Brien did their thing, trading away DeAndre Hopkins and just uh, not getting anything back in return and trading away draft picks and getting Brandon Cooks, who, as you mentioned just a moment ago, uh, missed some time last year as he does kind of every year. But you believe the Texans are still a good bet to make the playoffs as they seemingly always do. Why is that? Kind of as you mentioned, as they seemingly always do, uh, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Greg, they made a lot of really dumb decisions. <laughs> no DeAndre Hopkins. And we should be pessimistic about the long-term outlook of this team. But when you're getting the plus 144 in this specific division, 
I find that pretty enticing because the Titans, they're built around this wild style of play. We don't know if what Ryan Tannehill did last year is sustainable. Derrick Henry, can he be as efficient as he was down the stretch last year? There are question marks there. We laid out the question marks around the Indianapolis Colts earlier on. And the Jaguars might be tanking. So this is a pretty wide open division. Meanwhile, you've got the Houston Texans kind of lurking there they've gone to the playoffs for the past five years and they've done so both years where Deshaun Watson has been fully healthy he comes back he is still there and he is still good even though he does lose DeAndre Hopkins that matters but it's still Deshaun freaking Watson we want to bet on good quarterbacks and Deshaun Watson is that and I think given how good he was when their offensive line was bad which it no longer is I think we can expect Deshaun Watson to still perform at least decently well even in a worse situation with DeAndre Hopkins being gone. So this is kind of just betting on Deshaun Watson and betting against the other players in this division. The, the Texans, yes, we can question all their moves, and we should, and it does lower our expectations of them. But at plus 144 to make the playoffs, I'm willing to buy back in here and hope that the, the issues for the Texans don't fully flesh themselves out until a couple of years down the line. The issues are going to pop up again. Hopefully it's not this year if you're taking this bet. It's a really good number. And I like how you called uh, the Titans offense wildly interesting when it's just literally running the football over and over and over again. But nevertheless, we'll see what the Texans can do and they can make the playoffs as they seemingly always do once again here in 2020. Hey, everybody, what's going on? I am Greg Sussman, joined today by Jim Sonis of FanDuel. We got some long shot bets for you. NFL awards season. It's about a year away. That doesn't mean we can't make some money on it right now. What's up, Jim? Yeah, it's all good, Greg. I think the thinking here, for me at least, is that if you're going to lock up money for this long, you better take some long shots and see what happens. Because if I'm betting Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, their odds probably aren't going to move too much before week one. So let's take some long shots, guys, who may have shorter odds once season arrives. And then if they do pan out like Lamar Jackson did last year, we can benefit quite a bit. So shooting for some longer ones here. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm excited. I'm just waiting uh, for sports to kind of get back into it. The NFL looks like they're going full steam ahead. Obviously, NASCAR is coming back. Golf is coming back. Hopefully, the other sports aren't far behind. Let's talk about some of these longer shot bets that we want to place. And we're going to go with your boy to start this off in Denver. We talked a lot about how that Denver offense improved, that they knew what they had to do in order to keep up pace with the Chiefs. They bring in Melvin Gordon. They draft Jerry Judy. And that means you're buying Drew Locke at plus 8,000 to be the NFL MVP. Yeah, I think that the reason that we want to buy into Drew Locke is just because situation matters a lot for a quarterback. And when you can get a quarterback with 80 to 1 odds who has pieces around him as good as what Drew Locke has right now, it's at least intriguing. And we can question Drew Locke's talent all we want, which we should, because our sample on him in the NFL is very small. He faced a lot of really poor competition, and he was a second-round pick. Those are all things that are working against him. But now he's throwing to Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Noah Fans, Albert Okwebunam. There are so many guys in this offense who, bring, who can help make up for mistakes the quarterback may make. And I think that's a good thing for Drew Locke. But there's also some good volatility in what Drew Locke does. He is willing to throw the ball downfield. He can do so well because he has a big arm and he can kind of run a bit. He's pretty athletic, about similar to Justin Herbert from an athleticism perspective and could add some from that perspective as well. The issue with Drew Locke is that you need a, an MVP bet to have the potential to at least go to the playoffs. And I think the good thing here with Drew Locke is that not only did the Broncos beef up their pass catchers, but 
They also added some really big pieces via trade prior to the NFL draft as well. So looking at Drew Locke, the odds that he does win MVP probably aren't that big, but I think they're better than the implied odds of 80 to 1, especially when you consider how good the talent is around him. You know, again, our sample is small on him, but the pass catchers he has now are so much better than what he did last year, and he has at least shown flashes at times of having really high upside. So I think we're going to swing with the fences here, give Drew Locke a try, and see if the Broncos can't su- surprise in 2020. The pieces around Drew Locke, they look really, really good. And as you mentioned, the MVP, especially at the quarterback spot, relies on so many of those other offensive weapons. They're building it in Denver. They can keep up pace and surprise people in the AFC West. 8-1, well, that's too big of a number for us to let go. We like that with Drew Locke right now. But he's not the only quarterback that's a long shot that Jim is betting on because when you can bet on a Jet to win the MVP, you have to, according to Jim Sonis. It's his team. It's Sam Darnold, 100-1. to Why not, Jim? Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at here, too, is why not? And I think that between these two quarterbacks we discussed, I like the value on Sam Darnold more than I like the value on Drew Locke because Darnold was a top three pick in the NFL draft. He is very young, and those are things that you like as far as making progression and going to the next level. This is also Sam Darnold's third year in the NFL, which should give him better acclimation to this league. This is his second year of that in Gase, and We can question Adam Gase all you want, but the continuity around having a second year in that same offense should be a benefit for Sam Darnold. Now, with Drew Locke, we talked a lot about the situation. And I think that sneakily Sam Darnold's situation has gotten a lot better too, specifically because of the offensive line. They've kind of taken a similar approach to what the Buffalo Bills did last year, where they threw a lot at it in free agency, creating a lot of competition, especially along the interior. So the interior is going to be better, but there's also a chance to get better at left tackle with Mekhi Becton being there. Maybe George Fanch or Chuma Adoga can step up and play right tackle. So the offensive line will be a lot better. But even with a bad offensive line in the past, we have seen sparks from Sam Darnold. We've already forgotten about what he did over the final four games in 2018. He also had some good stretches at times last year as well. This is for a guy who's entering, you know, he's still very young and entering his third year in the league. So we've seen flashes from Sam Darnold. The talent around him is better. They've added Rashad Perriman and Denzel Mims to replace Robbie Anderson at wide receiver. He gets Chris Herndon and Ryan Griffin for a full year, and he gets a second year in his system. I think that all bodes well for Sam Darnold. He's in a big market, which should get him a lot of name value. This division is pretty wide open where anyone could win it. That could help the Jets out as well. So I think that between Locke and Darnold, I prefer Sam Darnold at 101, just because both these guys are in situations that are better than they were last year, and their odds don't necessarily reflect that. The situation on offense is definitely better for Sam Darnold. The second year in a system, usually better for a quarterback. But what I like best about his chances is the fact that New England doesn't have Tom Brady anymore. And you have the Bills that are looking good, acquiring Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, hopefully taking another step. But if things go right for the Jets, they can make some noise in the AFC East. The offensive line, as you mentioned, Jim, very much improved here. And as long as you make a little bit of noise, then the MVP conversation, well, it starts in earnest. If Sam Darnold can have a big-time year in Adam Gase's offense, 100-1 to is way too big of a long shot for him. I like that bet a lot. I like it more than Drew Locke. But perhaps my favorite long shot bet that you're on today is the Defensive Player of the Year award. And Miles Garrett is that at 33 to 1. Miles Garrett had a fantastic year last year before it ended, well, terribly, of course, in Pittsburgh. Now he's back. He's reinstated. He's going to start the year, hopefully get his head on straight. But he certainly has the talent to be the Defensive Player of the Year. 
And at 33 to one, like I said, it's my favorite bet here on today's show. Yeah, I think that you look back to last year, like you said, Miles Garrett was in contention to win this award then before the suspension came down. He had 10 sacks already before that suspension began. That's a year after he had 13 and a half sacks the year before. Miles Garrett, a former first overall pick, has shown to be a majorly effective player in the NFL. The thing I like about Miles Garrett, too, if we're talking about awards betting, is that voters do tend to value team success and the Cleveland Browns offensively have made a lot of gains this year so the odds that they do well enough for players on their team to get consideration for awards betting goes up the better that they get on offense and I think that they have done exactly that which benefits Miles Garrett who is 33 to 1 to win defensive player of the year he is entering his fourth year he has shown sack productivity the ability to put up flashy stats in the past and it's going to be a team that gets a lot of buzz because of the Browns, and they always get a lot of buzz as well. So the best player on a potentially improving team who has the ability to post a lot of really good stats, that's all really good for Miles Garrett. Now, if he were a bit shorter than this, I might be hesitant because maybe voters shy away based on the incident last year. Maybe they don't want to back someone, given you know the, the, the negativity around Miles Garrett's name. But I think at 33-1, to 1, that's long enough to account for those concerns on my end for a player who is just so gosh darn talented on what could be a really fun team. We've been calling the Browns a potentially really fun team for a good decade now. And as you mentioned, the hype surrounding them, uh, it usually is bigger than the actual well, team success. But if this team is successful, and Kevin Stefanski's run-based attack allows for close games and Miles Garrett to be a force on defense, well, it's well worth putting it down at 33-1. to 1. Yeah, there's bad juju there. See what I did? Bad vibes as well. But Miles Garrett has the talent as a former first overall pick to certainly become the defensive player of the year. At 33-1, to 1, you don't want to miss it. Let's, now let's move to the comeback player of the year, where this list, not as big or as lengthy as some of these other categories, you like Matt Stafford here. Only 9-1 to 1 plus 900 to get him at. And, and Stafford, again, has the talent. He had a good year last year, especially from a fantasy perspective, uh, playing for Matt Patricia. Who are the other players that are involved in this mix, along with Matt Stafford, that allows you to like him here at 9-1? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of this award in general, uh, because it is pretty ambiguous. There are a lot of ways you could go with it, and it's just, it's kind of amorphic, and so I generally don't want to enter this market. However, I think that the odds on Matthew Stafford being as long as they are, are kind of what draws me here. And it kind of harkens back to what we discussed with Drew Locke and Sam Darnold, at least with Sam Darnold, where the division's a little bit open for, up for grabs because the Packers made some weird offseason moves. The Vikings traded away Stephon Diggs and lost a lot of talent defensively. The Bears are the Bears. So there is some room for the, the Lions to outperform expectations, which is good for Matthew Stafford. There's also the thing that Matthew Stafford, before he got hurt last year, was really good. He was the fourth most efficient passer on a per drop back basis based on number of fires metrics before he went down with that injury. That Daryl Bevel scheme of play action and let it rip was working out really well for Matthew Stafford. He also plays doors, which I like because it does help inflate his stats and he has some good talent around him. So I think that there is some mobility here for the Lions to outperform expectations. That bodes well for him, and Stafford has shown he can put up good individual stats. I kind of think that's what I want in order to enter into this market. Now, again, it depends on the number. If you can't get Matthew Stafford at 9-1, to which is what you can get at FanDuel Sportsbook, I'd probably just avoid this award entirely. 
But if you can get someone like Stafford at this number, then I'm willing to bite just because we've seen the ability to put up really good numbers. He should qualify for the award because he missed so much time last year. And I think that there is a lot of, a lot of, a lot of paths for Stafford to be in contention here. So Stafford, the one guy who can really get me to bite in what is a largely pretty unattractive award. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because, as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pot? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Poppy. They ran socks in 2004, bounced back after the 3-0. In a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. 
in each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. The one player that we both liked a lot was Cam Akers, in a position to really be successful in his rookie season. You can get him to be the offensive rookie of the year at 20-1 to 1 right now, which is really good odds because he's in a really good offense with a team that has already shown success running the football. In fact, they had a potential MVP at that spot. So maybe Ken Akers could be the rookie of the year. Yeah, I definitely think so, especially at 20 to 1, because of a lot of the reasons you mentioned. And I think that when you look at the Rams' decision making, that tells you a lot about what they think about Cam Akers as a running back, because they let Todd Gurley go for contract issues. But you look back to last year, Malcolm Brown never really got a ton of work, despite the fact they were trying to conserve Todd Gurley. Daryl Henderson was inactive down the stretch last year, even in week 17, where they had literally nothing to play for. Daryl Henderson did not play for that entire game effectively. So that kind of tells you where they're at with him. That means that Cam Akers can come in and be the starter on day one. He can be the starter on day one for a team that I think has a better offensive line and a better offensive scheme than perception because they really performed poorly last year. But part of that was injuries. They got better as the year went along. They got new talent in there. And I think that adding back those guys who were hurt should give them a good competition level for this upcoming year. So I think the situation for Cam Akers is not all that bad. We saw at Florida State he was able to catch passes. He was able to be pretty effective despite a bad offensive line there as well. He should go to the Rams here and be pretty heavily involved in this offense. The thing that I like about the Rams, too, is they're going to have to score some points this year, which bodes well for Cam Akers, because that defense, they ignored it. Uh, for, the, for the second round, they went with Cam Akers and Van Jefferson, and they lost a lot of talent defensively. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald are awesome, but they've got a lot of holes still defensively. And I think the Rams offense is going to put up a lot of points that could benefit Cam Akers from a, a numbers and a statistics perspective. So he is a, a high profile position on a team that should get a lot of notoriety for better or for worse. And on a team that's going to have to score points. And I expect his role to be pretty good from day one. A lot of things line up really well for Cam Akers. And I think that at 20 to one, a really good number to get for a running back who has a lot of talent is it is in a better situation than I think the perception would allow. The Rams ignored the defense. They ignored the offensive line. Instead, they went with weapons. Cam Akers is certainly qualifying as a weapon on a team that, as you mentioned, ignored Daryl Henderson, ignoring our boy Malcolm Brown, and allowing Cam Akers to hopefully step up, step into a starting role, or at least a major role in this Rams offense, and be successful. This is the first pick that the Rams had all week, and they used it on a guy that is going to play immediately. It's a couple of years ago that Todd Gurley was certainly in the conversation to be the NFL MVP, and those knee issues began. Why can't Ken Akers at least be in the conversation to be Rookie of the Year? He can, and he will. One last award we want to get to, and that is the Defensive Rookie of the Year. This one's always a little bit tougher, so let's go with a name we know, and that is Trevon Diggs, the younger brother of Trevon Diggs, who spurred Maryland, that bastard. But nevertheless, Trevon Diggs in a spot in his rookie season to at least have some success initially. Yeah, when you can go to Bama, it's hard for me to fault someone for skipping out on Maryland. So Trevon Diggs, and obviously it worked out pretty well for him, but there's also a couple of big pluses here for Trevon Diggs when it comes to award betting. The first one is that he plays for the Dallas Cowboys. That means he's going to get national attention from day one. The Cowboys, as we've talked about before, are a good team which should inflate voters' willingness to vote for this guy. And that's a good thing for Trevon Diggs. Also, 
he's projected to start right away. With Byron Jones being gone, the Cowboys had a pretty major need at corner, and now Trevon Diggs can step in on day one, start for that team, get some numbers, get some notoriety, and rack up some stats. That's all really good. Like you said, we've got name value Trevon Diggs because of Stephon. He played at Alabama, which means he was on a national stage a lot during college. So name recognition, high-profile team, a good team that should win a lot of games, and an automatic starting role. When you're getting all that for 26-1, to 1, I'm pretty intrigued about buying it. You look back at past defensive Rookie of the Year award winners, you've seen a good number of corners get there in the not-so-distant past. It's a pretty wide-open award as far as which position does wind up winning it as, as opposed to things like MVP. So I'm going to go with a guy like Trevon Diggs here, talented player, interesting situation given the team he's playing for and the fact that they'll start on day one. I think that all adds up to be a really intriguing bet for 26-1. The fact that he plays the Dallas Cowboys is going to have that national spotlight. It's going to have a major role to start off the season. That's a lot of reasons to like Javon Diggs. All he needs is a couple of big games in primetime, and everyone's going to know his name. And it helps that his uh, older brother is already a successful NFL player. A lot to like about Javon Diggs. And it's what? His number 26 to 1? It's worth taking a shot on here. At least right now, when it's still early. And Aaron Rodgers' stock is falling, but it may not be because of Jordan Love. We don't expect him to make much of an impact this year. But it's what the Packers did or didn't do around him, which has a stock falling for me. Yeah, it's all about opportunity cost here for Aaron Rodgers. There are actually two things working against him. The, the big one is that opportunity cost, because taking Jordan Love did mean that they could potentially have a starter down the road, but it also means they did not address other needs. And the Packers have a lot of other needs. It's not just the pass catchers. and The pass catchers are a major thing, but also they lost their right tackle, Brian Bulaga. And yeah, they've got depth to help fill that role they signed Ricky Wagner and they've got some other guys who were there last year who could fill that gap but it's going to be a downgrade at right tackle regardless so you could have expected Rodgers to take a step back in 2020 even though he wasn't that great to begin with in 2019 from a fantasy perspective but then you factor in that they didn't add to the pass catches and right now their top guys are going to be Devontae Adams, Devin Funches, and Alan Lazard and I think that Lazard is interesting Devin Funches in the past has been an okay player but that's not the type of core outside of Devonta Adams who elevates the quarterback's production. Pretty much every quarterback outside of maybe Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes is dependent on their environment. Rodgers is no different. He needs guys around him to perform in order to get a boost to his, his stats. So I think that the downside there, the long-term outlook, outlook is also negative because there's a chance that Rodgers, maybe the team views him as being on the decline. I think that some stats will back that up as well. So that's, also a little bit concerning here as well so both from a short-term and long-term outlook Roger's stock is down for fantasy football and that's a tough thing from a dynasty perspective maybe you can find someone who will buy into the angry Aaron Rodgers narrative and take him off your hands for you but things definitely pretty grim here both in the short and long term that's not exactly how you want to see things by any means and it's really tough to get jazzed about Aaron Rodgers whether it be for 2020 or going forward based on what happened this weekend. When Tom Brady officially left New England, a lot of people pointed to the fact that New England didn't do enough around Brady to improve. The wide receivers outside of Julian Edelman were kind of barren. You nobody to throw to. You look at Green Bay and you wonder if Aaron Rodgers is thinking the same thing that Tom Brady is, that, hey, what about me? How are you going to help me as I age, as I'm not the same player I was in my prime? Sure, he has Devontae Adams a little bit better than Julian Edelman. But after that, Devin Funches? Like, this is, this is what we're doing here? It's not going to be good enough. Alan Lazard, as much as I love the Lizard, not going to be good enough. Rodgers needs help. Packers didn't give him help. Jordan Love, 
Well, hopefully by the time he's quarterback, Packers will do a little bit more around him than they did around Rodgers. Speaking of Tom Brady and his former team during the Patriots, that brings us to Jarrett Stidham, who on the surface you'd think, this guy's a winner from draft weekend because Patriots did not draft another quarterback and not one of the big four quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round. But you think his stock is down a little bit here, Jim, which is kind of surprising. How come? Yeah, I think that if you have Jared Sidham in a Superflex Dynasty League, you should be ecstatic because starting quarterbacks are currency in those formats. And his value just went up there. That is undeniable. The stock for Jared Sidham went up. But at the same time, the odds that Jared Sidham succeeds as a starting quarterback for New England went down because they didn't really do a whole lot to add talent around him. And you look back to last year, Tom Brady finished 22nd in the league in per drop back efficiency based on the numbers at number fire. And Jared Sidham is not as good of a quarterback as Tom Brady. You can be into Jared Sidham as a prospect, but to say he is as good as Tom Brady was last year is a little bit of a stretch. Now, there were some re-additions by injury because they get David Andrews back. He was medically cleared to play once again. Their center, uh, Isaiah Wynn, may be healthy the full year. They get a full year of Nikhil Harry, Mohamed Sanu. So maybe you could count those as being additions because they'll be there for the full season for New England, whereas they were not there last year. But is that enough? Is that enough to elevate Jared Sidham, who was a later round pick last year, didn't have great efficiency stats at Auburn, and was an older prospect coming out because he was a transfer. There were a lot of questions about Jerison's profile, even if you do buy into what he did earlier on in his career before that transfer and before going to a tougher offense out in Auburn. So you can be into Jared Stidham. And I think that, uh, again, his stock did go up technically because they didn't draft a quarterback during the NFL draft. But if you are sitting here right now and you have Jared Stidham on a dynasty superflex roster, I think you got to trade him out because the odds that he is super successful in this year as a Patriots quarterback are not all that high based on the talent around him and his stock may never be higher. So yes, in theory, Jared Stidham could qualify as a winner, but I think if you're thinking long-term and trying to figure out the odds he holds down this job and performs well enough to be the long-term starter for New England, I think those odds actually went down. So. You want to play into the perception here and hope people are excited that Stidham is in line to be the starter now for New England because I don't think the outlook when he gets that starting role is all that optimistic. So he's technically a winner, but also kind of a loser. So a little bit confusing, uh, but I definitely think now is the time to sell on Jared Stidham based on what the Patriots did in this draft. All those tight ends aren't good enough. You'd be buying Jared Stidham stock right now. They're interesting. I think that's for sure. But are they going to stretch the field and be legit downfield threats? We don't know. And I think that's kind of what they're missing in this offense. Maybe that can be Nikhil Harry, but there's still a lot to be proven. We've seen the value of having, you know, downfield threats in the NFL and not sure the Patriots have one of those right now. So I don't see the upside there for Jared Sitta. Maybe he gets you a floor, but the upside still very much in question. The upside in question, it's weird because Jared Sitta, a winner of the draft weekend, but his stock is also down at the draft weekend. A little bit confusing there with Jared Sitta. One player whose stock is dramatically down, I believe, is Devin Singletary in Buffalo. We were hoping and praying Buffalo would not bring another running back. Unleash Devin Singletary, as we saw uh, during the playoffs last season. Unfortunately, that exactly wasn't the case for Buffalo. Yeah, it definitely wasn't. And it sounds like things could be pretty grim here for Devin Singletary, based on what they've been saying about Zach Moss since the NFL draft because I think that when they took Zach Moss you kind of knew that he would eat into the early down work for Devin Singletary and that's okay 
But once you dig into what Zach Moss did at Utah, you see that he did get some passing down work and was not a, a negative in the passing game by any means. So there's a chance he could get some work there. And also he profiles as being a legitimate goal line back. And Singletary already had questions about his touchdown upside because Josh Allen is also essentially a goal line back in that offense. So there was one guy to take away opportunities there. Now Moss is another one within this offense. So I think that we still could see a scenario in which Devin Singletary gets maybe double-digit carries per game and can get five or so targets, in which case he'll be flex-worthy. That's totally okay. But if those carries go down anymore and he loses any passing down work, you add on the loss of goal line work, and we start to see a situation where Devin Singletary doesn't carry all that much value for fantasy going forward. Now, that may be the worst-case scenario, and I don't want to project that necessarily, necessarily for Devin Singletary, but I think with the initial reaction to the Zach Moss pick, you could have still thought that Singletary would serve a pretty valuable role, but... I think the more you dig in, the more you hear what they say about Zach Moss's outlook in Buffalo, it starts to get a little bit more foggy. So even if uh, you're down on Devin Singletary, it might not be a bad time to see what you can get for him out there, see people buy into the talent because the touchdown upside basically non-existent at this point, and there's a chance things could get even worse once we get into the actual season. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because, as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. 
Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the Deflategate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. You call him Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big copy. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Another running back who you are wondering about at this point, it's Aaron Jones. He's a very popular target in early rounds last season. But the Packers, when they brought in help for Aaron Rodgers, it was another running back. And it was the phenomenal A.J. Dillon, which means Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, they're going to be fighting for everything that they can get. And that's not exactly great news for their fantasy stock. Yeah, I think there are two big concerns here with Aaron Jones. The first one is how high they took A.J. Dillon because he was a second-round pick. And you don't generally pick guys in the second round to have him sit on the bench. He's probably going to be playing a pretty decent amount. That's probably a bigger concern for Jamal Williams than it is for Aaron Jones. But it's also the type of touches that A.J. Dillon is going to get. Going back to the conversation we just had around Zach Moss is – where are the Packers going to go for the money carries toward the goal line? Because Aaron Jones was due for touchdown regression to begin with. He scored 19 total touchdowns last year. That number was going to come down just because it's hard to repeat an outlier type performance. But now you may take away some of those easy chances at touchdowns, which means the regression could be even more egregious for Aaron Jones here if A.J. Dillon does wind up being a goal line type back for this team. Now, Aaron Jones, I think the floor for him is still being the main receiving down back for this team and probably getting more carries per game than A.J. Dillon. But you take away some of those money carries and spread out that early down work even a bit more and things get a little bit hazy. And once again, the Packers did not do a whole lot to address their skill position guys outside of A.J. Dillon, which means that the touchdown upside for this offense in general may be muted if they can't move the ball. So I think there are a lot of concerns here for Aaron Jones. Now, I think it's, this is due for a word of caution here, that people could overreact to the addition of A.J. Dillon. Because again, I think this impacts Jamal Williams more so than Aaron Jones. So while I was kind of okay selling low on Devin Singletary, I'd see what the market is for Aaron Jones. And don't overreact to this because, again, he's a very talented player. He's probably still going to get the passing down work, which is where he can be really good. So I don't think we need to necessarily abandon ship here. And if people are going to lowball you, don't bail. You know, hang on to Aaron Jones and see what happens. But it does at least necessitate seeing what the value is for Aaron Jones, seeing if you can get, uh, you know, good value in return because the, the amount of draft capital spent in A.J. Dillon and the potential for even more harsh touchdown regression does scare me quite a bit with Aaron Jones. Jim, at the beginning of that, you used a really good word that was hazy, and that's what kind of this backfield for Green Bay is between Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, and now A.J. Dillon. Those 19 touchdowns that you mentioned a few times there for Aaron Jones, they're not replicable. 
and you bring in A.J. Dillon, we're not exactly sure what his role is going to be, but you do know he's going to have a role, as you said, being a second-round draft pick, you're not drafted to sit on the bench. Yes, maybe Jamal Williams will be more affected, absolutely, but Aaron Jones is going to lose some carries as well. It's for the first time, really, ever that I can imagine, I don't want to invest in the Packers' offense, which means, or invest heavily, I should say, in the Packers' offense, which means we're going to pause and kind of wait and see how things play out. Of course, unless you get a draft day bargain. Who would ever thought that Mohamed Sanu would have an effect on Mark Ingram? But it's true. When Mark Ingram, would, I'm sorry, when Mohamed Sanu was traded away to New England, New England gave up a second round pick. And that second round pick went to Atlanta and ultimately wound up in the hands of the Baltimore Ravens, who then drafted J.K. Dobbins, which means Mark Ingram should be angry at Mohamed Sanu. Yeah, definitely, because this really does hurt the the short-term and the long-term outlook for Mark Ingram. Because when you look at Mark Ingram, his main appeal was that he was a clear-cut top guy in a really good offense that the Ravens would use in high-leverage situations. That was the main appeal for Mark Ingram. Justice Hill wasn't getting the job done. Gus Edwards would come in in garbage time. So, the, you know, there were guys there. But Mark Ingram, when the game mattered, was going to be the guy for the Ravens. Now, that may not be the case because J.K. Dobbins was a legitimate workhorse at Ohio State. This past year, he had 301 carries and 23 receptions, and he had 22 receptions or more all three years he was at Ohio State. So you know that J.K. Dobbins can get the job done in the passing game, and he can carry a major load as a rusher as well. So that hurts the long-term outlook for Mark Ingram because he's probably going to be the replacement for Ingram down the road. But it also hurts his short-term outlook because Dobbins is good and seems more likely to see passing down work and cut into Ingram's role. Before, you know, you had guys like Edwards and like Justice Hill. And when they were on the field, you kind of knew what was going to go down. If it was Gus Edwards, probably a run. Justice Hill, probably a pass. With J.K. Dobbins, it could be either. He's a versatile guy, and he kind of fits more with Mark Ingram and kind of be that guy who can be out there at all times. So Mark Ingram is still going to have a role in 2020 for this Baltimore Ravens offense. They're still going to be run heavy. They're still going to pound the rock and Ingram's still going to benefit from being from that offense being as good as it likely will be. But it's hard to see him having some sort of workhorse type role. And it's also potential that we could see J.K. Dobbins get those high leverage touches that Ingram feasted on last year. His workload, his actual usage, straight up usage, wasn't that good to begin with last year. And now there are questions about what that, that workload potentially coming down even more. So Mark Ingram, a pretty big loser here, both in the short and the long term. J.K. Dobbins could be the guy as soon as this year, which is exciting for him for sure. But for Mark Ingram, it's definitely a scary proposition. I'm nervous about Mark Ingram. I'm nervous for what the Baltimore Ravens have in store. I basically feel like I had uh, Justice Hill on my bench all year last year, waiting for him to take over for Ingram. Didn't happen. But the Ravens were so good at the draft and so good at maneuvering the draft board. They're not wasting a second-round pick on a running back that they don't plan on giving a ton of touches to. Mark Ingram may be the present, but the present may be getting a little bit more into the past. Because Justice Hill, well, he's not going to be an issue. J.K. Dobbins, he's the present, he's the future. You're investing in him on draft day. One last player whose stock is down coming out of the draft, and unfortunately, that's DeAndre Swift. He was a guy you really liked coming into the draft, and you really liked potentially going in the first round. It didn't happen in the landing spot. Well, that wasn't exactly great either. Yeah, I think that with DeAndre Swift being on this loser list, it's all relative because the landing spot wasn't objectively bad for DeAndre Swift because the Lions do have a good quarterback. We want, you know, we want to tie our, our 
running backs to good quarterbacks. They can score touchdowns. They have a tolerable offensive line. They've got good weapons there. So they can move the ball and score touchdowns. The landing spot itself is not all that bad. The problem that Swift had is that his landing spot wasn't as good as the other top backs in this class. So Swift, it's just fine, his landing spot. Everyone else seemed to land in, in an ideal location from a landing spot perspective. So Swift is going to come down in rookie drafts without actually moving himself. It's just that everyone else moved up, whereas he kind of stayed even with where he was. I think this presents an interesting opportunity here because if Swift does slide in rookie drafts because of this landing spot, I am super intrigued in snagging him because I love his long-term outlook still. As you mentioned, Greg, I was into him coming into the draft. I still like that because he profiles to get a lot of work in the passing game, which is so, so valuable for running backs in fantasy. And he's going to be that goal line back for the Lions as well. And again, Matthew Stafford is good, offensive line competent. There are a lot of things to like with DeAndre Swift still. So the stock goes down relative to other backs in this class. But that does not mean we should abandon ship on DeAndre Swift. He is still a very valuable dynasty asset. Carry uh, on Johnson may not be a long-term solution there for the Lions. So it may not even be a timeshare for all that long. So yeah, DeAndre Swift's relative value to other picks in this class did go down. But it's still okay. And I still think that we should be into him uh, if he does wind up sliding a little bit in those rookie drafts. The outlook is still very good. The profile is still really good. And he's still someone who could, who could wind up being a major fantasy stud. So the stock comes down, but still a guy we should be into once those picks come along. It's kind of interesting that you put DeAndre Swift on the stock down list for the reasons they mentioned, but not on Johnson. You talked about on a little bit there. His stock has to be really falling uh, after this draft pick by the Lions. Yeah, I think that one kind of goes without saying. You could have said the same thing about, you know, like Mark Ingram and Aaron Jones, where it kind of goes without saying, but I think that carry on Johnson, the tea leaves were there. And you could kind of tell that the Lions were going to invest in a running back pretty early. They took one literally at the top end of the second round. So I think that his stock fell the most. Kind of need to talk too much about him. Uh, but I think that, yeah, things are, are pretty tough there between the health, between the, tea, the coaching staffs, reluctance to give him a, a major workload even before that. So I think it's pretty much kaput here. And DeAndre Swift is a guy you want to own both now and in the long term. Much like J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift is the present and the future in Detroit. Even if you still believe in Bo Scarborough and you're still banking on on Johnson, well, doesn't matter. DeAndre Swift is the guy that you're going to want to own for the Lions. Let's begin with the winners today, Jim. And we begin in Denver, where just about a year ago, this team looked boring. It looked gross. It looked like a team that was going to be in the doldrums of the AFC West for a while. It's amazing what a year will do when Cortland Sutton steps up and when you draft players like Drew Locke and Jerry Judy. Things are looking a whole lot better in Denver. Yeah, there is nothing boring about Drew Locke in general. He's kind of a weird dude, but in a fun way because he can be a little bit erratic, but that's not always a bad thing. It can be fun to watch. And now what we have here at Drew Locke is a really good situation. When you look back at last year, his number three, you know, pass catcher on that offense when Locke took over was Tim Patrick, a guy who was undrafted. And now instead of that, he is throwing to Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, Jerry Judy, and KJ Hamler. And what Judy and Hamler provide is a lot of speed in that offense. Noah Fant has that as well, but this is going to be a fast team. You, you can throw out uh, Albert O in there as well, uh, a later round pick reuniting with Drew Locke as they were teammates at Mizzou. This is going to be a pretty fun and pretty fast offense. And what that does is it dramatically shifts the expectations for Drew Locke. Whereas before you could have had some reservations because 
He's a second-round pick, and second-round picks don't normally pan out as quarterbacks in the NFL. He also, in that limited sample as they started last year, faced a lot of really bad defenses. So the numbers behind what Drew Locke did were a little bit tainted by the teams that he faced. But now he's got three legitimately good receivers, a great tight end, and they also added some depth along the offensive line on day two and day three of the draft. So I think if we're talking about situation for Drew Locke, whereas it wasn't that good at the end of last year, it now looks really good heading into 2020. And situation matters so much for quarterbacks. We've seen this before with guys uh, like Jared Goff in the past, what a situation can do for a quarterback's outlook. We can still have questions about Drew Locke's talent, but what we can't question is the fact that his odds of succeeding just increased this weekend with the additions they made to this offense. So I think we can still, you know, have some, some minor trepidations about Drew Locke because, again, second-round picks don't pan out all that often, but he has the tools he needs to succeed. And if he was capable of succeeding, we're going to see that this year. So Drew Locke is someone I think we can invest in in best ball leagues because there's no legitimate backup behind him. And I think for Dynasty as well, the odds he pans out just went up. That makes him a big winner from this draft weekend. Drew Locke's a huge winner from draft weekend, but I want to throw this back at you. Given what they did in the draft with Jerry Judy with some of the other wide receivers here, is Cortland Sutton a loser? I wouldn't say a loser because I think with K.J. Hamler, it's not a guy you'd expect to get a ton of usage. Jerry Judy will. But we've seen a lot of offenses that can support multiple fantasy-relevant pieces as long as the quarterback plays efficient enough. And I think that's the question here with Drew Locke. But I think the thing with Cortland Sutton is he has their rapport with Drew Locke already, and they will have uh, you know this weird offseason where they're not going to have a lot of time to develop guys like Judy and Hamlet. That should give him a leg up. But also, Cortland Sutton is pretty freaking good. When you're, you're that good, it's hard to take away usage. So I wouldn't say Cortland Sutton is necessarily a winner in the situation. But I also wouldn't downgrade him all that much, despite the fact that there are viable alternatives in this offense now, whereas there may not have been previously. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. 
His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like, he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the Deflategate. Hey, guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around. I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, he's, he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with big top. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0. We never win a chicken dinner, homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story, and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 